Good morning. I hope everybody's enjoying the cool weather as much as myself. We are glad you're here today. We're excited about what's going on here at Greater Alton and excited about what God does, period, but specifically about what he's doing here. Um, We're in the middle of a sermon series called Worth It, Living the Worthy Life. And we've been talking about, our theme for the year comes from Colossians chapter 1, where Paul was praying for the church at Colossae, and he said he prayed that God would fill them with all knowledge and understanding that comes from the Spirit. And so we have a theme for the year. We've asked you folks to be praying, fill me. We've asked you to adopt that and to choose to pray for yourself as well as the rest of the church the way that Paul prayed for the church at Colossae to fill us with knowledge and understanding that only comes from His Spirit. And we've been excited about that. We're kind of following up on that. This is the time of the year where the theme for the year kind of takes a lull and kind of fades into the woodwork and we start looking at the theme for next year. And so we wanted to try to stay focused on it because we think it's a good focus for us to have as individuals and collectively as a church. And so we've been talking about this in Colossians 1 that talks about living a life worthy of the gospel. I introduced the topic two weeks ago. Alan talked last week about holiness and how holiness is worth it. There's two aspects of worth it that we talk about. One is it's worth it to do this. It's worth it to pursue holiness. Today we're talking about unity. Unity is worth the effort that it takes. Next week, Alan is going to be talking about persecution. Worth it, huh? We'll find out. But guys, there's the other aspect of how do you live. Does your life live up to the presentation of the gospel? Is your life worthy of the gospel? Do you live in such a way that promotes unity, that promotes holiness? And so guys, that's what we're talking about. But today as we talk about unity, um, I just got to tell you, I've had an incredibly difficult time focusing this week. All right? And I'm not sure if it was good or bad. Just a little story is when Alan and I uh, we're talking about the series about three weeks ago and saying, okay, I'm going to do weeks one and three. He's going to do weeks two and four. And he immediately went home and started preparing for what he thought was his first topic. And so he prepared a whole lesson for unity. Which I can do now if you like. Don't tempt me. Don't tempt me. And so he prepared it, and I, I, I emailed him back or texted, messaged him, I'm not sure which, and I said, looks good, but I thought I was doing unity. And he's like, how did I do that? How did I screw up? And so uh, at the beginning of this week, he says, hey, in case your week gets crazy, here's my notes. Here's my research and my preparation. And needless to say, my week got crazy. All right? And if you don't know, my wife and I made a one-day trip to Mississippi and back this week. Uh, real challenging. Uh, the, the worst part about it was we were up two hours later than normal, okay? That's what made it challenging for us. It wasn't the drive. It was those two hours of screwing up our sleep patterns. And so anyway, Alan gave me these notes, and sure enough, I go, oh, great, I don't have to do nothing now. I'll just do his lesson. And so I sit down to look at his notes, and I'm going, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, I wouldn't say it that way. Oh, I think I want to talk about this. And so all of a sudden now I just had to not focus my thoughts, but I had to focus his thoughts as well. (laughs) And so it was a bit of a challenge. So I guess I'm kind of apologizing for how this is. They tell you never to do that. 
But I want to let you know that if you don't think this is as good as what I normally do up here, it's Alan's fault. <laughs> it's that simple. It's that simple. Um, but you want to talk about what unity is like. And there's a couple passages of Scripture I want to read to you. You see, guys, unity, and they're not, they're not in your notes, they're not on the screen. Unity is one of these things that churches talk about. And they realize that unity is something they need. You know, Jesus said, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And unity is something that churches who are trying to grow, who are trying to be what Jesus wants, realize the need for unity. And we have historically talked about unity and stressed it in what I believe was a misguided way. Alright? We believe unity meant you don't question anything. You do what you're told. Alright? It means Hebrews 13, 7 and 17. Submit to your leaders. Get behind what they say. And guys, I believe we were misguided in a lot of ways with on that. But that does not diminish the necessity of unity. And I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to read you two passages about what unity looks like. The first one is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. It says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, guys, unity is not about everybody agreeing and everybody doing things the same way. Okay? It is making sure we're all moving in one direction and we have the same mind, the same thought process of moving in that direction. And this is what Paul is talking about here in Philippians. What is he saying? He says, be of the same mind, the same love. Count others more significant than yourselves. You see, guys, if we're all doing that, we will have a unity. That's the unity the Bible's talking about. It goes on saying, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, if you get any church, any group of people to do this, they will have a unity that's out of this world. Another passage in Philippians also in chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. We're talking about having a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. That's what the unity is we're talking about. That we are all moving in the same direction. That we are trying to live our lives the same way. There were three things I'm going I'm to share with you, and I may point back to these. They didn't make it into the lesson. They could probably be a whole lesson by themselves. If you want me to do it next week, I will, Alan. No. But guys, there's three things that I really feel like we need to be united around. The first one is the way that we live. We should all be striving as followers of Jesus to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. 
Now, that's not saying we're going to do it all perfectly or we're all going to be at the same place. But that should be the target. What everyone is striving for that unifies us. The second thing is we need to be unified around our hope. And you see, guys, that's our hope is really our motivation for the way we live. You see, there's a brand of Christianity that's out there. Some people refer to it as the health and wealth gospel. Okay? It's also referred to as the name it and claim it or the blab it and grab it. All right? And basically what it says is that if you are following Jesus, you will be blessed financially, materially, beyond your imagination in this world. And the Bible doesn't teach that. It tells you that you're going to be healthy and wealthy. You see, if that's your hope, and there's a group of us that are that way, and everybody else is just trying to live a life worthy of the gospel, there will be disunity. So our hope should unite us. And the third thing, guys, is our power. The power that we have available. We talked about this in a sermon series last summer. And we talked about the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Guys, you want to see disunity, you try to do things on your own power while those around you are working through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what unity is. Now with that in mind, there's some things we want to talk about. What do I need to know about unity beyond that? Number one, you need to know that God values unity. In Psalms 133, it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity or in harmony. In John chapter 17, there's a prayer. In verses 20 through 23, this is what Jesus says. This is the night before He's crucified. The night before His ministry is going to change dramatically and it's being shortened. He's at the end of His ministry and He's spending His time praying for His disciples. And then this is what it says. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their works, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What he's saying is, he's praying that they will be one, that believers, he's talking about us. He first he's praying for the disciples, the apostles that he's directly involved with. And he says, I'm not only for them, I'm praying for those that are going to believe in me through them, through their words. That's us. And he's saying, I want them to be one. I want them to be united, Father, the way you and I are. Jesus wants us to be united the way him and his father are united. That's pretty significant, isn't it? God values unity. The second thing, guys, we need to know about unity is as a sinful person, I have an aversion to unity. Okay, I don't know about you, but in years gone by, when they talk about unity, I'd start cringing. Because unity means I'm going to have to give up my way. Just what we just talked about in Philippians chapter 2. I can't just be concerned about me and doing things my way. I've got to do it another way. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, each of us have turned to our own way. And guys, that is just the truth of the matter. Every human being wants to do things their own way. It is my desire to figure things out myself. You want to know when my marriage got better? 
when I quit trying to make everything happen my way. That is the truth of the matter. It just works out much better that way. Uh, you know, I just got to, I got to tell you, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit later, I think, but I like to consider myself an organized person. Anybody else that way? Yeah? My wife considers herself an organized person also. We shouldn't have any trouble, should we? Her way of organizing is different than my way of organizing. Her way of organizing is what I would call... Now, let me be very clear. I, I like organization, and I believe in organization. I don't have everything organized. Ask my wife. She refers to them as piles. I have piles of things. Now, I'm organized because I know what's in those piles. But I, I, don't, I don't... Piles I'm after, I'm, I'm after to change those. I believe you should be able to, I should be able to tell you over the telephone how to find any possession of mine if you're on the right location. That's what I believe. A couple months ago, I had a friend working for me at the car wash. One day he said, Gary, he goes, I need an Allen wrench. And I said, okay. I says, the boiler's across from the, uh, from the tool bench. There's a toolbox on top of the boiler. On the top shelf on the left hand side, there are Allen wrenches. He kind of chuckles. He comes back and says, no, you had some red-handled Allen wrenches. Oh, you want the red-handled ones. There's a five-gallon bucket in the back of my truck. They're in the bottom of the bucket. That's the way I believe organization should be. That's my way of being organized. My wife believes in organization too. If it's not visible, it's organized. If it's in the cabinet, it's organized. Her organization means neat. So my piles get in the way of her idea. Guys, there's two, there's two ways. And when it comes to unity, that's the challenge. We have an aversion to it. Every one of us wants to live our life our way. And we, let's just be honest, we don't like anybody else pointing out our way being less than perfect. Do we? Okay. Third thing, we want to talk about unity. We need to know is that we have been given unity. Alan brought this up. Unity is a spiritual reality of following Jesus. Or it should be. Let me say that. We've been given it. The question is, do we still have it? How's that? Is that fair? Look at this passage here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It says, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What Paul's doing here, guys, is he's stressing this unity that we've been given. Why do I say he's been given it? I say given because he's telling us to maintain it. Okay, he doesn't say, hey, go try to achieve unity. He says, you've been given unity. The challenge is, are you going to maintain it and keep it? And he points to all the things. You have one spirit, one baptism, one Lord, one hope. 
That's the challenge for us as believers is are we going to maintain the unity of the Spirit? The fourth thing is I have to work to maintain unity. I have to work. Guys, unity does not just happen. There's, I believe it's in physics. It's called the law or the theory or whatever of, of entropy, which basically says that things go from a state of organization to a state of disorganization. state of higher concentration to a state of lower concentration. And guys, I believe unity is that way. We've been given it. But if we don't act on it, if we don't look to keep it, we lose it. And it takes deliberate effort from us to do it. The last thing, guys, is that intentional effort is required to restore unity. You see, guys, if we haven't maintained unity, we have to work to restore it. And it's going to take some deliberate, intentional effort. Now, why did I switch gears from talking about all this about unity to saying, how do you restore it? If we've been given it, why are we talking about restoring it? I'll just politely say that I believe unity is a growth area for us as a church. Is that fair to say? I believe, guys, that we haven't maintained unity. And we have to work if we're going to restore it. If we recognize that unity is something God values and God wants us to have as a, as a body of believers, then we need to put forth some intentional effort to restore the unity the way Jesus wants us to have it. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Just three things. And as I work to restore and maintain unity, when I, number one, recognize disunity and desire unity. You see, guys, one of the challenges of following Jesus is that we just want to drift along. Why does the health and wealth gospel grab a hold of people? Because it's easy. Because it makes them think that, hey, everything's going to go smooth. And I, I, I've confessed before, my favorite feature of a vehicle, of my car, of my truck, is the cruise control. You know, I, you just love getting on the highway, putting it on cruise control, and just kicking back. Just trying not to hear your tires, hear that vibration when they get off, off the lines. That's what I like. And guys, I'm the same way when it comes to Christianity. I live under the false belief that I'm going to get to some point in my maturity, some point in, in my growth of following Jesus, and I can just put it on cruise control. I, I don't have to learn as much. I don't have to learn as fast. I've got it down. I've got the character. And I can just float along. And that's a lie. It is a lie. And guys, I say that because I believe... In America, we tend to be this way. I believe as Americans who are trying to follow Jesus, that's what we think. It's going to get to the point where it's just, just simple. And it's easier to ignore this call to unity than it is to work towards it. And so guys, if we're going to work to restore and maintain unity, we've got to first recognize our tendency to be disunited. And then we have to desire unity. Look at this passage here in Galatians chapter 5. I believe this passage in the first century, the first group, first Christ, some of the first Christians that ever started following Jesus had this struggle. And this is why Paul is writing this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, beginning in verse 13, 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Guys, the last part of that verse, watch out or you'll be destroyed and devoured by each other. That is the history of churches in America, is it not? Churches, it is commonly known, have a very big challenge getting along. They have arguments. They have splits. I would guess that the large percentage of the new churches planted in the country are really the result of splits. We have a tendency to not get along. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Guys, don't do that. Don't devour each other. And he goes on. You're familiar with what he goes on down to in verse 19 through 21 and then 22 through 25 where he first talks about the acts of the sinful nature and then he talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And as I've said before, those are not just two lists of here, don't do these things. Those are called sins. And here, do do these things, the fruits of the Spirit. Those two lists in context are to be used to evaluate yourself. They're to be used to look at yourself and see, which are you producing? Are you producing the acts of the sinful nature? Or are you producing the fruits of the Spirit? In the middle of the the acts of the sinful nature, they, they can kind of be divided into groups. And here's the group right in the middle. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, factions, right? Clicks. Okay? Now you hang out with the people you like, think most like you, and you don't want to hang out with, you don't want to be around the others. Last one's envy. You see, folks, there's a difference here between desiring unity and avoiding disunity. Most of us just want to look at ourselves and go, well, I'm not really, I'm not really disunited. I'm not, I don't, I'm not really part of a clique or a faction. You know, I, I just, I'm, this is where I'm most comfortable. And we tend to justify being disunited. And we never make it our goal to be united. And guys, that's the challenge today is to recognize our tendency to be disunited and to adapt or to choose to have a desire to be united. Guys, let me ask you, how do you respond to disagreements? What's your natural response to them? Do you avoid them? Do you get upset? Do you get angry? It is a challenge, and this is, this is a huge challenge. I was having a, a discussion with my daughter the other night over pizza. And she says, I don't know why we're arguing about this. I said, I'm not arguing. Do you look at disagreements as arguments? Disagreement is an opportunity to learn for somebody. And it may be how you 
respond to somebody who disagrees with you. That may be what you need to learn. Are you going to have a discussion or are you going to have a disagreement and argument? What's it going to be? Second thing is I work to restore and maintain unity when I love the family of God. Look at these two passages here in Colossians. In Colossians 2 and verse 2, it says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. Read the first part of that again. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Then chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Now, I don't know if I need to say anything more about this. I think those passages pretty well say it all. Okay, if we're going to have the unity that Jesus desires for us to have, there has to be a genuine, real, sincere love for this body, for the family of God. And guys, again, I'm not going to sit here and evaluate. I think this is something you have to check yourself in. If you're saying, hey, I want to be united, you have to check. What's my love level for the people of this church? For this family of God. Is that something we're known for? We've got to look at it. We've got to look at it. How many of you would like to have a complete understanding of God? Yeah? That would be great, wouldn't it? Look at this passage. Colossians 2.2 again. It says, My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So that you have the full riches of complete understanding. Jesus wants us to be united in love. And He also wants us to have a complete understanding. The full riches of complete understanding of God. Complete understanding of God doesn't come from sticking your nose in the Bible 24 hours a day. Sticking your nose in the Bible and reading it and studying it is important. But if you know the Bible completely from a scholarly standpoint, from front to back, and you're not loving the family of God with the love of God, you've missed it. And you're out there doing your own thing. Third thing, if I'm going to maintain and restore unity, I need to pursue maturity. For years now, this has kind of been a, a, a growth area here at Greater Alton, and we have made tremendous progress. In 2010, I stood before you and said we have an epidemic of immaturity. That was the way I described what I saw at Greater Alton at that time. I believe we're past the epidemic of immaturity, but I believe it's still a challenge for us. And guys, here's what it says here in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See guys, there's two things there that I really want to focus on. One is he says, until we all maintain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. All of us are to grow up. All of us are to mature. And he goes on, and he's talking about for the goal of this is is to have the body fully equipped. And then in the middle there of verse 16, he says, when each part is working properly. You see, guys, if this body is to be what Jesus wants it to be, and if it's going to work properly, we all have to be working toward maturity. I was having breakfast yesterday at the marriage retreat with Daryl and Dawn Herbst. And we were talking, and I said, there's a real tendency within Christianity for people to uh, let somebody in authority decide what their faith is going to look like. Is that okay? Whether it's a preacher, whether it's a priest, whether it's an elder, somebody, they go, okay, what are we going to believe? I mean, years ago, we had somebody come to the church. They'd been to other churches and they said, well, where does the church stand on this? And they're, what they're saying, what they were, the way I interpreted what they were saying was, tell us if we're going to be a part of this body, what we are supposed to believe. That's not how God set it up to be. Okay, there are teachers, there are preachers, there are elders, and we have a role. But your maturity isn't dependent entirely upon them. You have to be pursuing it on your own. We can teach you everything right. And if you don't decide you're going to be mature, guess what? You won't be. You won't pursue it. Let me ask you just, and this is just a question for you to think about. How much do you think about maturity? How much do you look and go, man, I, I got some growing to do. And I guess the easiest way to answer that question, you'll know, you'll know if you're, if you're pursuing maturity when you recognize your immaturity. Because that's really the truth. It's just like Jesus talks about walking in the light. Okay, once you walk in the light, what does it happen? He shows you where you're wrong. He shows you your sin. Because the more you're pursuing maturity, your immaturity shows up. And so that's really the question you got to ask when it comes to pursuing maturity. Am I pursuing maturity? You want to know, are you pursuing maturity? I'm going to ask you the question, how much are you recognizing your immaturity? What can you tell me right now? I need to mature in this area. And guys, I want to give you two fruits of maturity, of pursuing maturity and how they show up. And this may shed some light on. I think these are two huge areas, especially as we're talking about unity. And the first one is, I accept my brother. What do you mean, accept your brother? See, guys, one of the things that churches are known for is judging. We judge people as wrong. 
We judge people as sinful. We judge people as lost. And we tend to pronounce judgment upon them. If you ever want to look at this a little bit more in depth, I've got some verses here from it. But Romans 14 and 15 are kind of the commentary on judging and accepting one another. Because we're not going to always agree on everything. God hasn't given us black and white on every last subject in the world, every last situation in the world. And that's what Romans 14 and 15 deals with. Specifically for their case, he's dealing with the eating of meats that were sacrifices to idols. Back in the first century, uh, you had pagan religions and they sacrificed animals to these false gods. And then they... You know, to make a buck, they'd sell the meat. And they'd sell it cheaper than meat that wasn't sacrificed to these gods. And so, like true Christians, they decided they were penny pinchers. And they'd buy the cheap meat. And some people go, you can't do that, that's wrong. And Romans 14 deals with it. It says, yeah, if you're conscious, if that's wrong, you're conscious, it's wrong. But if you can eat that meat with good conscience, there's nothing wrong with it. And you should each accept each other, whichever you decide. Go back and look at it, but look at verse number one here real quick. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. We're on a journey here. And we're not all at the same place. Okay? I told you earlier about my desire for organization. Okay? I do not have everything in my life organized. Ask my wife. She'll point to my piles. Okay? But I can point to evidence of where... I've gotten organized. Okay? I'm moving clearly in the direction of being organized. Though I'm not perfect. Alright? And so because I'm not perfect, I'm not near as neat as she wants me to be. And she routinely takes my piles and sets them where I will have to deal with them. Okay? She hasn't went to a divorce lawyer yet that I'm aware of. She has accepted me where I am. But guys, the truth of the matter is, as we're pursuing maturity as we just talked about, if we're united in making living our lives in a way worthy of the gospel our goal, we're going to not all be at the same place. Some of us have spiritual piles, do we not? And what he's saying is, guys, accept one another. Be united because you know you're going in the same direction. You know you're pursuing the same thing. And you will know that you are maturing when you have this fruit of accepting someone whose faith isn't at the same level yours is yet. Now guys, acceptance is not approval. What do you mean by that? It doesn't mean you're approving of what they do is right or wrong necessarily. Alan did a wonderful job three or four weeks back talking about carrying each other's burdens. I don't remember the title of that lesson. It was one of the last ones on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I'm familiar with it because my wife has the notes tacked up at home. 
I'm not sure if she's thinking about me when she did those, but wonderful job, guys. Uh, second thing, guys, is that unity is not uniformity. We are not going to all look the same. We are not going to all do things the same way. We are not going to all agree on gray areas. The second fruit, guys, of pursuing maturity is going to be that I value diversity. You see, it's not just enough that I look around and I go, okay, everybody gets to be different for me and I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to put you down. I'm not going to shun you. But it's a whole other thing to go, I'm going to value doing things differently. I'm going to value doing things differently. Um, let's read this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. But God has so composed the body that there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Guys, in that passage, and and we we kind of chopped that up as we read it for, for space, but it's talking about that there are different parts of the body. There's thumbs, there's eyes, there's feet. And God has put the body together in the church. Some of us are different parts. And we need to value the different parts and how they do things. Guys, one of the, uh, I told you we went to Mississippi. Uh, on Thursday, we were taking my nieces down uh, to their mother. A lot of you know Leanne, my former sister-in-law. And Leanne has struggled from since before she first came to Greater Alton and got to know Christ as a drug addict. And ten months ago, she went to a drug rehab program uh, in Alabama somewhere. Extreme South. And I'll be honest with you, I was skeptical of how it would help her. I was skeptical of if she would really get off drugs, if she would stay off drugs. And I know it's only been 10 months. But I'd been hearing from Susan, my wife, the changes in Leanne and how she's talking and the spiritual nature of her conversations and the prayers that she's offering. And I knew she was a changed woman. So we went down for lunch. And guys, it was just plain as day, the difference. I mean, just... I went down prepared to go, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Leanne, your faith is real. You're, you're a different woman. And we talked about the differences because she's been at the Greater Alton. She's been at the Crossings. And now she went to, honestly, she's at a completely different denomination. She's at a church that's a Pentecostal church that emphasizes the Holy Spirit. She's not a tongue speaker. She's not for that at this point. But guys, I want to tell you, The woman's full of the Spirit. I mean, there's not a doubt in my mind that she has learned how to have the power of the Holy Spirit help her to overcome this drug addiction and to live a life completely different than what she's lived before. 
Now, I've got to tell you, I spent the majority of my adult life judging and condemning other denominations who believe things differently than we do. Or some things differently than what we do. And guys, here you have a church, they do things different. They have an altar call. Okay? Where people come down and cry and pray and people pray over them. Guys, I don't know what all they do. They do it differently. And I don't want to judge them. I want to value their differences. Actually, I want to learn what they do because of the change in Leanne. I want to see how can we learn, how can we take something they do, and I don't know how they do it. I don't know what they do. I want to learn. I'm not going to agree with everything they do. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm not. But they do something differently that I believe we need to learn. And guys, that is the truth of the matter. That kind of valuing diversity is what we have to have here in this in this body. We're not going to all do things the same. We're not going to do things the same way. We're not going to think the same way, approach studying the Bible with people the same way, approach sharing our faith the same way, approach helping somebody the same way. But we have to value diversity. We can't try to force everybody into the same mold. But then, of course, if you're not trying to do all those things, that's a challenge. You see, guys, we've all been given different gifts to build up somebody else in the body. Guys, as we close out here, I just want to throw one thing at you. I know I've covered a lot of territory here. I know I've been kind of scattered. But we've been talking about for several months that we want to be good and faithful servants. And we started off this lesson today looking at the fact that Jesus values unity. So we know without a doubt, if we're going to be good and faithful servants, we need to value unity. We need to pursue unity. We need to restore and maintain unity. And so as I close out today, I'm just asking you to examine where you are. Is unity something that's even on your radar? Are you just going about your own business? That's my lesson. I'm going to pray. The guys will come up and sing and we'll be done. Father, my brain's scattered. Hard to focus. But Father, it's very clear that unity is a, is a big business to you. Unity is a big concern of yours. You value it. And Father, as your servants... You want us to not only value it, you want us to have it. Not just to recognize its importance, but to pursue it. And Father, I know we can, we can talk about this as a group. But unity is only achieved in a group as the individuals of that group decide to be united. Father, I want to pray right now. You can just touch our hearts, open our minds to see... Father, where we are, where each person's at. See, God, you never expected us to follow you individually off by ourselves. You expected us to follow you as part of a group. Father, we need each other. Father, I pray you help us to see it and to fight for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.